Hello, good morning. Welcome to church. Wonderful to see your smiling faces. And those of you who are not smiling, it's also wonderful to see you as well. Um, if you would stand with me, we're going to worship the Lord this morning. Um, the song that we're opening with, we haven't done in a while, so I just want to give you a heads up. If you don't remember the words, feel free to just enjoy the song as we sing it over you. I always want to encourage you that if you don't know the words to a song that we're doing or you just aren't feeling it, you can always choose to just worship and just listen to the words, meditate on them, and let them penetrate your heart. We can still worship in a variety of ways. Amen. So I thought this was a really good song to sing at Christmas time because it's about the gospel and the coming of Jesus, and I love to meditate on that truth. Um, but let's uh, pray. God, thank you so much for this rainy, cloudy, cold day that you have blessed us with, that we woke up this morning in your presence, that we have freedom in your spirit. There's many things to be grateful for this morning, God. We just ask that you would help us in our imperfectness as we come in our own efforts to just to worship you and to meditate on you. God, we just ask that you would meet us where we are, that you would reveal yourself to us in new ways, that even in our imperfect worship, that you would be glorified, that you would be blessed, God, and that you would help us to really engage in this moment, in this opportunity to be present, to be mindful of where we are, who we're with, of who we're singing to, and the things that we're saying or the things that are being sung over us this morning, God. We have one goal this morning as we worship you, to lift you up, to fix our eyes on you, to reorient ourselves to you, true north. Help us, God, to do that this morning. Amen. Line by line it was written, hope in every sentence. He was good start to finish. Yes, he was. The words that usher his presence and tell of the glories of heaven. The earth that still shakes at the mention. Yes, it does. I've got good news for the broken, for the hurting. He came for you. And you're hoping and you're searching. One thing remains true. Jesus is still our good news. Freeing each soul that was bound up. Loving the one who was unloved. Giving mercy And he still does. His love is as vast as an ocean. Cares for the poor and the orphan, the healer that's not for the one, and he still does. 
hoping and you're searching one thing remains true Jesus is still our good news what joy what relief his blood has washed me clean there's still hope for me for all he has redeemed he wrote a better story he has set me free there's still hope for me what joy what relief his blood has washed me clean there's still hope for me for all he has redeemed he wrote a better story he has set me free there's still hope for me i've got good news for the broken for the hurting he came for you you're hoping and you're searching one thing remains true jesus is still our good news keep playing i just want us to think about this as we sing these words again this is so important this is so good for us to remind ourselves of the good news that especially in this time of year that we think about the god who came as one of us, that when we walk outside of these buildings, that there are hurting and broken people that need to hear the good news. We have to believe that this is still good news. It doesn't matter what the world says and what our culture says and how it has demonized the church and the gospel. We have to remember and believe that Jesus is still our good news. This is good news. It's good news for us. There are people in this room who are hurting and broken this morning. Hear these words. This is good news. It was 2,000 years ago when he came as a baby, and it still is today. I've got good news for the broken, for the hurting. He came for you. You're hoping and you're searching. One thing remains true. Jesus is still our good news. Sing that again. And I've got good news for the broken, for the hurting. He came for you. And you're hoping and you're searching. One thing remains true. Jesus is still our good news. One thing remains true. Jesus is still our good news. Amen. This is a perfect time to sing this song. This song is called This I Believe, but it's also called The Creed. It's based on the creed. And we know that the purpose of a creed is to remind ourselves and to declare these things that we believe. And this is just encapsulating all of the good news. Let's go back and read that call to worship. I saw that before we sing. 
I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Let's say that again. This is from Psalm 34, verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. This is the God that we praise. These are the truths that we believe. This is what makes us who we are as a community of faith, as followers of Christ. Christ the Son, I 
believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. Sing that again. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. I believe in life eternal. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the saints' communion and in your holy church. I believe in the resurrection when Jesus comes again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. For I believe in the name of Jesus. I know I've been talking a lot, and I'm sorry. That's what you get for having a preacher as your worship leader. <clears throat> but I wanted to just acknowledge, you may have noticed we're missing a little something. It's because Bo is sick. So please keep Bo in your prayers. Maybe send him some of your love. I think that sometimes our body says, hey, I need some rest. And then it just forces you to rest. So we hope you're resting this morning, Bo. We miss you. And we are incomplete without you, but we will carry on bravely. This song is going to make it really noticeable. So just wanted to put the, the elephant in the room, but also to say that we love Bo and we miss him when he's not here. But I'm glad he's resting. And let's just carry on without him. <laughs> There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that blood lose all their guilty stains.
is a movement of God through the people of God. This movement is funded through the generous, sacrificial giving of people and churches throughout the world. World Evangelism Giving is the foundation for discovering, developing, and resourcing our missions organization and has enabled the Church of the Nazarene to spread the good news of Jesus Christ to unreached people and places. It is the cornerstone of our denomination's missional funding, with the largest portion of giving going to missions work in the Nazarene regions. These funds enable the regions to effectively implement church planting and discipleship strategies through local churches and ministries. Every church and individual in our denomination participates with their financial contributions to world evangelism, binding us together with a unified purpose and vision. Because of your giving, the Church of the Nazarene is able to develop and sustain worldwide communication, technology support, and new mission programs. All Nazarene missionaries, regardless of deployment status, benefit from the Missions Foundation created by World Evangelism Giving. 
Each missionary receives support, such as funding, insurance, and missionary care. Nazarene Missions International, Nazarene Youth International, Work and Witness, Global Missions, and many other ministries are supported by World Evangelism Giving. Independently funded ministries like Nazarene Compassionate Ministries, Jesus Film Harvest Partners, and World Mission Broadcast also benefit from the infrastructure it sustains. Through your giving, new churches worldwide are able to make an impact in their community. Those funds also train and equip pastors and church leaders in these churches. Pastors like Rafi, who fulfilled his call to ministry after escaping war-torn Syria. Today, Rafi and his mother Lena have started two Arabic-speaking churches in Poland. Your giving funds clergy development and ordination in the Church of the Nazarene and makes holiness education available worldwide through Nazarene institutions of higher education. Your giving provides resources and literature in more than 90 languages to churches all over the world. This includes resources for pastors and Bible-based teaching materials for children, youth, and adults. Because of your giving, schools like the Armstrong Primary School in Côte d'Ivoire are impacting their community. School children are being taught Christian values, and the students and their families are being reached for the Lord. In Mark 12, we see the beautiful example of a widow giving abundantly. Jesus calls his disciples and points her out as the one who gave the most, because she gave all. Our focus is not on how much we give. We give because we believe in a missional God, who is at work through our Nazarene missionaries, reaching places and people we can't even imagine. We believe in a God who moves, and that belief, deeply seated in our hearts, moves us to give. We are a global church, a generous church, participating in the transformational love of Jesus Christ in our local communities. Together, through our world evangelism giving, we share Christ's love with the world. We just want to remind you that was on the whole time, wasn't it? Dang it. <laughs> I really don't like that. Okay, sorry. I uh, do just want to remind you um, to continue to give. If you haven't already, we want to remind you of the opportunity that continues for you to give to World Evangelism Fund. Uh, we, I shared with you last week that we as uh, a local church have the goal of $7,000 um, to kind of tidy up our fund that we will pay into World Evangelism Fund. And so you uh, can still continue to give until the end of the year. And we just so appreciate your generosity. Um, and I hope that that helps you see just a glimpse again of, of where those funds go and that we are a global church and that we take pride and joy in giving and sharing with one another uh, what, what God has given us. So it's a beautiful gift. Um, this morning, I do want to just take a brief moment to recognize our 
Uh, fourth and final volunteer, as I have uh, been doing each Sunday throughout the month of November. And um, this volunteer is going to be really, really extra glad that they don't have to come up here and all the other people are like, that's not even right. Uh, but today I want to recognize somebody who is downstairs and, and hopefully she's able to watch right now or listen. But uh, I really want to thank Brenda today, Brenda Jackson, who uh, is not in here. Yes, please. Express your appreciation. Dwight, you convey this if she doesn't see this, okay? You have to duplicate what we just did uh, with even more bigger. Yes, yes. Um, share that with her. Nope. Oh, no, don't do that. Um, I really appreciate Brenda. As you may remember, last year we recognized Marcella and all the years that she faithfully served in the nursery, loving on those babies and just faithfully showing up every single week for many, many, many years. And Brenda has graciously stepped in to um, kind of assume that role that Marcella played. And um, I know she's only been doing it for one year, but I just really appreciate something special about Brenda that she uh, is faithful. She is always reliable. She jumps in to take care of whatever is needed. She uh, graciously finds volunteers to help her and is so appreciative of them. And I just appreciate the, the grace that Brenda has. She is just a joyful, gracious person, and the love and light of Christ uh, just flows from her so naturally. And it's a blessing to me. It's one of those things that you can't really name or put words to, but she's wonderful. And I just appreciate her willingness, her faithfulness, and everything about her. So Brenda, this is for you. We appreciate you so much, all that you do. Um, I'm sure that there are some weeks where she would just prefer to just be able to come and sit in here and not have to worry about anything else. But she just so lovingly and graciously shows up every single week, and that is huge. So can we show her appreciation one more time? Thank you, Brenda. There was a hoop there, a hoop and a holler. You got, a, got that, Dwight? Woo! One of those? Okay. She may take that the wrong way, too. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Just tell her. Just tell her about it. All right. Okay, that's enough fun for now. <laughs> um, so today's passage uh, is a, a heavy, um, tricky passage, and we're going to wrestle with some scripture today, okay? Are you ready? Uh, we're going to do some wrestling with scripture because this one is especially uh, challenging, and I'll share with you how I was challenged by this passage this week. I mean, just reading it is challenging enough. You'll see that in just a moment. Uh, but I do want to take a moment before we jump in to acknowledge that uh, today is what we call Christ the King Sunday. So there are a few people who I think have are, are newer to BFCN, and I try to acknowledge this at least once a year, and so I would do want to do that for those of you who may not be familiar at all with Christ the King Sunday or things like the liturgical calendar. And so what I like to share at least once a year with everyone is that my preaching often, not always, but often reflects the rhythms of what we call the liturgical calendar or the Christian calendar. And the Christian calendar doesn't necessarily mark time, 
But it's a journey through the scriptures and through the story of Christ, through the mystery and the story of Christ. And there are different seasons of the liturgical calendar that we typically go through every single year. And so next week actually marks the beginning of a new liturgical year on the Christian calendar uh, with Advent. Advent is the beginning of the, the year on the calendar. And so we go through the season of Advent where we celebrate the, the preparation and the coming of our Lord in the flesh. And then that leads into Epiphany, which we'll talk more about that as we get there. And then we go into the season of Lent, which is a six-week season of reflection and repentance as we lead up to Holy Week and, and Easter. And then after Easter, they have the season that is called the season of Easter or Easter Tide is also a way that we call that. A uh, way that we reference, and then we go into the season of Pentecost as we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then for six long months on the liturgical calendar from June until now, uh, we go through what is called ordinary time. And it sounds very boring and mundane and ordinary, um, but I really have come to appreciate what is called ordinary time. And I don't always follow the lectionary texts that, that are given for the ordinary time, but I do try to stick with the theme and the invitation or the goal during ordinary time. You see, ordinary time, and this is, we're going somewhere with this. I'm not just giving you a lesson on the liturgical calendar that you didn't care to know about. Uh, we're going to go somewhere with this, so just hang on to it. But ordinary time on the calendar is, I, I so appreciate it because it's a season that is meant for Christians to seek and to grow and to mature in the daily expressions of their faith, right? We're talking about the everyday uh, ordinary and mundane, we could call it, uh, ways of just showing up and being faithful as we follow Jesus. Uh, sometimes we don't give enough attention to what I would just call basic discipleship. Like we're just talking about what it looks like to be a faithful follower of Jesus and how to share that faithfulness with others and invite them to faithfully journey with us. And there's, to be totally honest, I mean, we can get excited about that. I get really excited about that. But for most people, this is just very ordinary. It's not very glamorous. Sometimes it's, it's a little bit discouraging because we don't always see what we want to see in those seasons of just faithfully showing up and, and, and as we aim to be present. But that's what we are working on during that ordinary time is just being present before God, before others, and faithfully following every single day. And so we did that this summer. So as I said, I don't always pull from the text from the liturgical calendar for that time, but I tried to lean into those themes. And so just to remind you, we, we spent the first half of the summer going through that series, Godspeed, uh, which very much talks about these themes. And Godspeed was all about the sometimes long process of, of what it looks like to faithfully be present before God, to say, here I am, God, do with me what you want. And we are encouraged to be faithfully present to each other, to kind of slow down and pay attention to what God is doing in our lives, how God is calling us to be faithful, and then responding faithfully. Right? And then we spent the second half of the summer uh, through going through the book of Ephesians. This led into fall. And, and the book of Ephesians was simply a, a letter to Christians that was like, here's what it's looked like. Here's what it looks like to be 
faithfully maturing and growing as you follow Jesus. Like concepts like loving each other, being patient with one another, and and being uh, unified, pressing on toward unity in Christ. And that's what we spent the last several weeks looking at. And so I share all of that to just say that the reason I appreciate the liturgical calendar and, and why we incorporate that in, in our preaching around here is because these are beautiful themes that, that, we, that it's helpful for us to go through these themes every year, to lean into these themes as we acknowledge what Christ has done in his coming and as we anticipate his coming again. And that's what Christ the King Sunday, kind of bring us back here to today, that's what Christ the King Sunday focuses on is is Christ's reign and and in a sense his coming again. I really like how one pastor Michael Levine says this about Christ the King Sunday. It's very simple and yet so perfect. She says Christ the King Sunday offers us a clear picture of what we expectantly await during the season of Advent. Our king and his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. Listen, she says We are reminded on this day that our king is unlike any other king, and his kingdom is unlike any other kingdom. And so you could almost think about this as a preparation before the preparation, which is what the season of Advent is all about. And so today, as we turn to Matthew chapter 25, we're going to get a glimpse at what the king, or as Matthew calls him, the son of man, but what Christ the king expects as he comes, as he returns, and as he uh, judges that this is what this king expects from people who are a part of his kingdom. And so I invite you to stand if you are able as we read through Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. 
I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we will open ourselves up and be thankful, right? Can we say thanks be to God? You may be seated. I just have to confess that I went into this week thinking, okay, this is a passage I'm fairly familiar with. I uh, didn't even take it take too much time to go back and look because I quickly was distracted with other things regarding this passage. But I thought, I think I even preached on this passage a few years ago, not too long ago. And I had a direction that I was going. I, I felt very confident that, okay, I, I have a firm grasp on this passage, but as I always do, uh, open myself up to, to the studying, to the words of, of scholars who, who know far more than I do. And I was quickly stopped in my tracks. And, and then I thought, man, maybe I haven't actually preached on this passage, or maybe I did not read a bunch of things that I'm reading this week that, that quickly uh, had me pause and kind of question everything I thought I understood about this passage. So just to give you a little bit of of context here, we have here at the end of Matthew several parables and teachings that point to Christ's return, as you can see, and final judgment. And this all kind of kicks off at the beginning of Matthew 24, where the disciples are inquiring about the end times, and they're inquiring about what is to come. And they ask Jesus, they say, tell us when this will happen. What will the signs be, Lord? How can we be prepared for these things that you speak of? And Jesus responds with with several pretty weighty parables and this weighty teaching. And some are difficult to understand. This one I found in particular uh, a little trickier to understand. But in this response, Jesus talks about what's going to happen to him. Right? He again prepares the disciples uh, for what is going to happen to him that he's going to lay down his life, that he's going to be handed over and killed. Uh, He talks about how they too need to prepare to be persecuted for the gospel, that these things will will happen to them as well. They need to be prepared and ready uh, as they follow in Jesus' footsteps. He, He talks about the events surrounding the destruction of the temple. He says, don't hold tightly to these things because this is all going to be gone. And he even says that this is going to happen within this generation, and it does. It happens not too long after in AD 70, right? And that's kind of what makes this group of passages tricky and difficult to fully understand because I think for the most part, Christians understand these passages to refer specifically to the end times, to the second coming of Christ, right? But then we also read some of these things and scholars support this with words of the prophets that a lot of these things have already happened, that the destruction of the temple is something that had already happened. And so when we loop all, or group all of these in together, it's like, well, how do we separate that which has already happened from that which we still need to prepare for? And I think that's where these things get a little murky. 
And I appreciate how scholars like N.T. Wright says, he kind of acknowledges this nuance and he says, some of these things that Jesus says could indeed refer to his coming again, his final judgment. And we can appreciate that. We can open ourselves up to that understanding. However, he says it's also very important that we understand these things in light of what it meant to those first listeners, right? To that original audience uh, to whom Matthew is writing. And so it seems then, if, if we kind of open up to ourselves to that way of looking at these passages that can be difficult to fully interpret or understand or apply to ourselves today, it seems that here's what Jesus wants his followers to understand. Maybe those from, from that time and us today, that Jesus wants his followers to remain alert to what God is doing here and now. Right? We're not just hunkering down and, and waiting for the end to come. We are aware and open and alert to what God is doing here and now. We're encouraged not to kind of fall asleep, as Jesus would say. Don't, don't turn yourselves away or not pay attention to what God is doing here and now because God has called you and equipped you and has instructed you to participate, to be faithful to how he has called you to live and how that helps others to see him. So don't waste time. Don't waste your talents and your gifts. We see this response in these parables between Matthew 24 and 25, right? He tells stories of those who were wise and, and did the right thing with their time and those who were not so wise, who wasted their time, who wasted their gifts, who buried their gifts into the ground. And so that leads up to today's passage, which in my opinion, is a lot more difficult to understand than, than those parables leading up to it. And here's where, uh, just bear with me for a few moments. We're going to get through the murky stuff and then to the good news. There are two things that scholars note that make this passage difficult to understand. And so these two things that I came across, they really kind of stopped me in my tracks and kept me from, from going full steam ahead to, to how I was originally preparing for this message. Right, And so there were two things. There's two kind of words or phrases that scholars say it's really hard to know exactly who Jesus is talking about here. And so the first one is that word nations. Okay, this is important. So, so try not to tune this out. That first word nations, which is the Greek word ethne, typically most often in the gospels refers to Gentiles or even more specifically, maybe to those who are hostile towards Christians or toward the gospel. And so right, right away, I was reading things that the scholars were talking about how that may support that Jesus in this passage is referring to Christians when he says what you did not do for the least of these, right? And, and so they use that term that, that Jesus is judging the Gentiles, those that were hostile toward the gospel and toward Christians, and he is judging them saying, you did not respond favorably or look uh, favorably upon and serve these, the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, and so therefore you are receiving judgment. But many scholars also argue that if, if we're doing, like, I just have to say, if we're doing faithful interpreting of Scripture, like, we have to be aware of these, these nuances, these different ways of understanding, because all of this affected how I was going to preach this word today. I, I wanted so badly to just kind of ignore some of the things that I read, and I was like, oh, I don't know what to do with that. I've never understood this passage to mean that. But I had to really wrestle with these nuances, and I had to really decide 
What is Jesus saying here? So I'm taking you along with me, maybe dragging some of you, but I hope that you'll stick, stick with me for, for a moment. Many scholars have a different understanding, though. They say, no, that, that it could be understood that Jesus here has a wider, more broad sense use of the word Gentiles, that, that he's referring to all nations or all people, and all are going to be judged on how they cared for the least of these which is the second of the two kind of problematic or more difficult to understand words or phrases. The least of these. I have a pretty firm grasp, at least I thought, on what Jesus means when he talks about the least of these. I've always understood this to mean those who are marginalized, those who are often overlooked, those who we don't pay attention to, those who have need, and this could refer to anyone, right? Christian or non-Christian, followers of Jesus or non-followers of Jesus. That's what I've understood, but there are many scholars who say that in this, because of the wording that Matthew uses and, and, and how he typically speaks of these things or writes these things down, that he is referring to Christians. That's one argument that, that Matthew has in mind Christians or followers of Jesus when he writes down least of these. And that's because Matthew uses this, this phrase, least of these, all throughout his gospel. And most of the time he's referring to other Christians. Do you see where, where I was like, oh, that could really change how we understand this passage. What are, what are we to make of that? But then on the other side, there are those who say, no, Matthew actually kind of tweaks how he uses this word. He puts other words in there that are different from, from those other uses of this word. And so that changes the meaning or broadens what, who Matthew is referring to, that it may not be specifically Christians, but anyone and everyone in need. Here's why all of that's important. I could have left it all out, right? I could have just left all of that out and moved on with with kind of where I am going with this message, but I just need to confess to you that I kind of obsessed over this nuance this week because I wanted to know who Jesus is talking about so that I could faithfully instruct you all so that we can understand this passage and know who Jesus is talking about. Because Jesus is really clear on the what, right? Jesus is clear on here's what you did that I am blessing you for, that I am acknowledging. He's very clear on the what, but he's not so clear on the who. And I had to know the who. I mean, we're in the car, five-hour drive to Arkansas, and I spend the entire time just looking and researching, who is Jesus talking about? You know, I've got the two sides here, one here, one here. Nope, they're pretty equal. Many scholars even confess it's really difficult to know who Jesus is talking about. Is he talking about Christians or is he talking about all of those in need? And finally, I got to the point, I'm gonna give credit to the Holy Spirit, who reminded me that I sounded and, and seemed a lot like someone else that we see do this in the Gospels. Anybody have in mind like who else wanted to know who? Who are you talking about? Uh, suddenly, I found myself relating to the lawyer in Luke chapter 10, <laughs> When Jesus is talking about, you know, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. And the expert in the law, I am not an expert in the law, by the way, but he says, oh, okay, but Jesus, who's my neighbor? Just so I get this right, 
who's my neighbor? And we know how that story goes. And so suddenly I found myself asking the same question, Jesus, wait, who are the least of these? I need to know because that, that really is going to change what we understand about this passage. And suddenly I felt a little bit, maybe slightly convicted that I was focusing on the wrong thing, the wrong part of this passage. I suddenly acknowledged, became aware of the fact that the sheep in this passage, those who were faithful and did what the king expected them to do, they also didn't really have a firm grasp on the who Jesus was referring to, right? Jesus says that you did all of these things for me, and their question, it does involve this who, but in a different way. You see what I'm saying? They said, wait, 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 Jesus, when did we, Master, when did we see you sick? When did we see you? We didn't know that was you. And it just kind of tells me that they were not focused on the who they were serving, right? They weren't focused on checking boxes on a list. They were simply, it would seem, living faithfully, doing what they were compelled to do. And, And they weren't focused on a reward. They weren't focused on who this was. They were just responding faithfully so much so. It was such a part of who they were, that when the king is pointing it out, they don't even know. They're like, when did we see this? We were just doing what we were supposed to do, and they had no sense of awareness that he was among them. You see what I'm saying? And then the goats, the goats who were on the left, those who were not faithful, those who did not faithfully serve the least of these, whoever they are, Jesus, or they are also kind of focused on this question, but in a different way, right? The who? When? When did we see you? And, and, and I kind of read into that. This is just a, my personal reading into it, but I kind of understand that to, to almost mean, Lord, if, if only we knew that was you, we would have done it, right? Like, oh, if we knew we were serving you in those moments, we would have done it. We wouldn't have missed those opportunities. And so it almost makes you wonder, were they also looking for a checklist? I'm thinking again about the the lawyer, the expert in the law in Luke chapter 10, who seems to want a checklist. Who is my neighbor? I need to know who it is so that I can make sure I'm doing the right thing. And would that even matter? Were the goats, those who were unfaithful in this story, also looking for a checklist? If they would have known who it was they were serving, would they have even done it? And all of this, well, that was a journey, wasn't it? It was a messy, crazy journey. All of this reminded me of something that we often do as Christians. We often, I think we're somehow just bent towards doing this sometimes. We often reduce the gospel down to a checklist. What do I need to do? Who do I need to do it for? How do I need to do it? Just tell me everything so I know exactly what to do. But the problem is Jesus doesn't give us a checklist. Even in this passage, it might seem like he does, right? Like I came across a couple of things this week that, that kind of, I think, maybe in a snarky way, were like, is Jesus advocating for works righteousness here? Right? Obviously, we don't think that. I don't think Jesus is advocating for works righteousness. 
But Jesus is acknowledging that when you follow me, when you are a part of my kingdom, this is what it looks like to be a part of my kingdom. This is who you are and it's what you do and you don't need a checklist. It's just what you do. It's just who you are. It flows from you without you even recognizing it. A checklist is so much easier, right? I would love to give you guys a checklist. Maybe that's what I was originally doing. I love, I would love to give you a checklist. Here's what you need to tangibly go and do. But Jesus doesn't give us a checklist. He gives us a model. He gives us himself. His life is the living example of who we are to love and how we are to love them. And friends, I'm convinced that it's everyone. It's not reduced down to a certain category or a certain type of people. In this passage, We see that the sheep are welcomed into the kingdom of God because they act and respond out of a place of genuine compassion. It's part of who they are. They don't have to think about it. Their pastor is not telling them to go out and do these things, right? They're not reading a book that says today go do this, tomorrow go do that. This is flowing from who they are because of who Christ is. And they are, as Paul would say, compelled. How can I not act out of loving service? How can I not be hospitable? How can I refuse to serve anyone and everyone in need, no matter how great or how small, when I see all that Christ has done for me? How can I not live in that way? And if only the goats had known. That's the tragedy of this story. If only they had known, but even then would they have served. You see, Matthew 25, here's how I reconciled all of this. And I'll just confess, like, I would love to, um, you know, if somebody wants to go do some deep diving, I would love to engage and hear your thoughts on, on, on what you think about this passage based on kind of what the interpretation arguments are. I, I think at the end of the day, it doesn't necessarily change the point here. It's just interesting. And it just goes to show you don't approach scripture with an assumption like you already know, right? Like, oh, I already know what this is about. Anytime I've heard this passage, it's in relation to this or to that. Because that's kind of how I approach this passage. And then suddenly I was reminded like, whoa, there is a lot of nuance here that makes this not so uh, black and white or easy to understand. But I think that none of that takes away from what we know about who Jesus is and how he lived from beginning to end and who God is, right? Okay, so all that to say that Matthew 25, this passage understood in this way is true to the God we see all throughout scripture, right? The God of the Old Testament who judged his people time and time again. And one of their, one of their, one of the, the, the judgments, one of the, the condemnation was part of that condemnation was how they treated and mistreated the least of these, how they neglected the poor, how they neglected care for the orphan. And we see that Jesus does all of this, right? We sang about that in this song, Good News, that Jesus brings good news to those uh, for whom the good news is usually uh, withheld, right? Because of their circumstances. But Jesus doesn't care about those circumstances. And so this understanding this passage in this way is is faithful to who God has always been and who Jesus is when he walks the earth. 
I think ultimately this passage is a reminder that good sheep, the sheep in this passage, those who are invited to share in God's kingdom when Christ returns and judges us all are those who take care of others in the great ways and in the everyday ordinary ways that aren't flashy or appealing because it's what Christ the King did. It's what Christ the King would do. And it's what we see over and over again. The sheep in this passage are those who serve others because it is simply who they are because of who Jesus is. They offer hospitality. They welcome people into their homes and they serve them and love them. They look for for ways that they can can bless others in, in tangible ways, but ways that might seem small and like they don't really matter. I think that that so often we can do this through food and feeding others. Like whether we're feeding the poor who literally have nothing to eat or we're taking care of, of each other by giving meals. And I'll just confess, I have been so much more on the receiving end of this lately than I have been on the the end that, that is cooking and preparing and delivering. I, I don't know what it is. It's like God is trying to remind me lately that it's okay to be taken care of and ministered to as well because so many people over the last few weeks from this congregation have brought us meals while we are trying to settle into our crazy new home that, that's just been so overwhelming for us. And, and last week, somebody, a dear friend brought me a meal because, you know, we were in the midst of planning this funeral and it was just one thing on top of another and it was just so much. And so a friend brought me two meals, not just one, but two, because it was just like, this is the, the thing I can do for you when I can't really do anything else. And I, I, I took every one of those meals and our family sat around the table and I just felt in awe of how food can be a blessing to other people because you're thinking about somebody who took time and we're not, we don't live close to where a lot of people in this church live. And so some people not only took the time to prepare the food, but they drove it all the way to our house. And and it just blessed me so much because I was reminded that they care, that this is a way that we can serve and care and we can do this for those within our community, but that doesn't take away of the call that we are to do that for those outside of our community as well. For what it's worth, I just wanted to share how how those little things that don't seem like a big deal, a lot of times we want to participate in the doing, the clothing the naked, the visiting the sick, and, and, and feeding the hungry, and giving water to the thirsty. We want to do those in big glamorous ways, and we can post about it on social media, you know, like Like, I did this good thing, or we did this good thing, but I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. It's the everyday, ordinary, mundane, seemingly important ways of showing up and blessing people, anyone who comes your way. Are you with me? Do you see that that is what we're being called to here? I like how how, uh, author Mike Frost puts it. We're talking about Christ the King Sunday, right? And we declare a lot on Christ the King Sunday. We declare this is who our King is. But I like how he challenges us. He says, the more we speak about the reign of Christ and who Christ is to us, 
the more we should be driven to demonstrate to others what we're talking about. In other words, it's not just let me tell you how great my king is. Let me tell you and show you how great my king is. Not works righteousness, not saved by works or deeds, but you can't not. You're compelled. I think that's what's happening with the sheep here. And so to kind of bring this all full circle, why did I share with you all the boring stuff about the liturgical calendar and ordinary time, right? Like that doesn't matter to anybody, but it mattered to me this week as I think about this was one of the the texts for Christ the King Sunday. And I find it so very interesting and also intentional that the liturgical calendar spends half the year talking about the ordinary, everyday ways of showing up and serving and loving others. And here we are on Christ the King Sunday with a passage that reminds us that this king affirms that, that this king affirms the loving, the showing up and loving and serving in ordinary ways that might go unnoticed, but that's who this king is and that's what he welcomes into his kingdom. And so what about us then? How are we loving and serving in ordinary ways? For some of us, it's just as simple as looking up and paying attention. Man, I tell you, if you just really pay attention, like just spend a moment watching people and listening to people and just observing, you will not, it will not take you very long to discover like, oh, that person is struggling. That person has a need. For me, it was dear friends who maybe observed like her kids aren't eating anything healthy because her life is a hot mess and and we've been living off of frozen corn dogs and chicken nuggets for like a a while now. I'm not even going to tell you how long. It's embarrassing. And so maybe it's, you know, like let's get her kids some healthy food. But I I suspect that it was just a way that, that I was feeling overwhelmed and just kind of struggling and feeling like I'm you know, like trying to keep my head above water and, and other people noticed and they found a way to serve me and love me. And I find that because I love Jesus and I follow and serve Jesus, like I easily notice those things and I just consider them to be a blessing and I appreciate it. But can you imagine what doing those things for those who don't know Jesus And those who don't know the love of Christ, can you imagine how those little things that aren't so little, how they can show a person like this is the love of Christ in the flesh. This is what Jesus would do without a doubt. And so it's what I'm compelled to do. Friends, it makes all the difference. So how are we noticing? How are we observing those in our midst who need to be served and loved with a Christ-like love? And how are we serving? How are we opening our home up to those who, who are lonely, to those who don't have other people in their lives to, to share meals with and share joy with? How are we noticing and are we aware of who those people are? Are we, are we taking time to serve only when it's convenient? Like maybe this is a healthy reminder, like don't just wait for a church email to hit your inbox right? Like, oh, we need people to show up and serve. Like, that's fine. And, and your response to those things is helpful and makes all the difference in the world. But find ways that are, are not popping up in your inbox to love and serve and show up for someone, anyone who is in need. I'm going to invite the praise team to come. And as they do, I want to share this final quote from N.T. Wright. 
who regarding this passage says, the warnings here are held within the larger picture of the gospel in which Jesus embodies the love of God, which goes out freely to all. And of course, we will all fail. Friends, take this grace, receive this grace this morning. We all shall fail at some point, okay? This is not a word of judgment. Receive grace because of course there are going to be times where we fall fall asleep on the job, so to speak, as he says. Of course there are gonna be times where we miss those opportunities. But I love how he says part of being a follower of Jesus is not that we always get everything right, but that like Peter, among others, we quickly discover where we are going wrong and we take steps to put it right says we can't use God's grace as an excuse for going slack. Even when we don't think we're being watched, we can never forget that much is expected to those of those to whom much is given. Friends, on this Christ the King Sunday, I want to remind you once again that our king is unlike any other king, and his kingdom is unlike any other kingdom. And the Christ the King that we serve says, this is how I show my love for my sheep. I lay down my life for them. And so good sheep are those who follow the good shepherd, those who are, who are in these little ways laying their lives down for others, serving, loving, being hospitable to those in need. If our king is unlike any other king, if his kingdom is unlike any other kingdom, then how are we faithfully looking like and serving this king and living faithfully as citizens of this kingdom. And so God, as we move into this time of reflection, may you help us to to see the ways that you have demonstrated this love for us. The, the, The thing that we're not doing here is handing out checklists saying, go and do these things and then you will receive your inheritance or your reward. But the idea here is to be brought back to all that you have done for us. The ways that you have laid down your life for your people and continue to love and and to show up for us every single day. And we respond to your loving kindness, to to you laying down your life, and we, we, we respond to that love, and we go and we live in a way that reflects that love, because how can we not? May we not be selfish with this way of living. May we freely give. May we freely love and freely serve anyone and everyone, any need and every need that finds its way to us. And God, may you receive the glory because this is how you show up in the dark places in our world. You choose us, you use us, and we are humbled by that this morning. And so we ask you once again to help us to be faithful, help us to live faithfully. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. You can stand with us as we sing. The great thing about the goodness of God is that it is transformative and it overflows. So I truly believe that by acknowledging 
meditating on and openly receiving God's goodness this morning, that it transforms us into that same goodness for others. So I hope that you won't miss this opportunity to be filled with the goodness of God so that we can go out and overflow into the world around us. Amen. Oh my. 
to think about the things that don't feel good. But I just want to encourage you, if you think that I have lived a life just like many of you with good days and bad days and suffering, and I have suffered with chronic pain my entire life, but when I sing this song and I say that I've lived in the goodness of God, I mean it because he is good every day. And it's what gets me out of bed in the morning. And it is his blood that has washed away my sins. It is that I believe in the resurrection, like we said this morning, that I believe in eternal life. I believe in this message is good news. So sing this from your heart if you can. Just mean it that even in the midst of suffering, he is still good. Cause all my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. One more time. You have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. I will sing. Of the goodness of God. Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your goodness that can help us to sing. It's the reason we sing this morning. God, we thank you for your goodness, for your faithfulness. And Jesus, we thank you for living in such a way that, that demonstrates tangibly in the flesh what, what the loving grace of God looks like and how it lives in the world. And Jesus, I pray that we can recapture that today, that we would be captured once again by by the truth and the love and the power of the gospel that is seen both in word and deed. It's seen by what we say, but it's also seen by how we live. God, I pray that, that you would help us to faithfully live these things out, both here in this place, in this community, loving and serving each other, but helping us to live these things out in the world as well at home with our families, with our spouses, with our children, with our parents, in our workplaces, with our coworkers, our bosses, our employees, in our, our schools, as we teach, as we learn, 
in the places that we shop. God, may we demonstrate your love and your goodness. God, this morning, I want to remember those who are dealing with sickness. May we take a moment to acknowledge those who are not here, those who are not present. May you bring names and faces to mind of those who are are sick and those who may be even suffering a little bit, those who are going through a difficult time, and may you bring to mind ways that we can love and serve them this week. Help us to take what we've been given and use that to bless others, to show up for others, and to share the living, good, life-changing love of Jesus Christ, our King. And we reorient ourselves once again to this king and to this kingdom. We pray that you would help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, may you leave this place and notice those who have needs. And may you be willing to serve and love in the ways that Jesus has loved and served. May we reorient ourselves to Christ our king as, as citizens of this kind of kingdom. And may you do so with the grace of God. You are dismissed. Have a wonderful day.